Book Four, Canto Eight, The Legend of Campbell and Telemond. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. Book Four, The Legend of Campbell and Telemond. The gentle squire recovers grace. Sclander her guests doth stain. Corflambo chaseth Placidus, and is by Arthur slain. Well said the wise man, now proved true by this, which to this gentle squire did happen late, that the displeasure of the mighty is then death itself more dread and desperate. For naught the same may calm nay mitigate, Till time the tempest do thereof delay, With sufferance soft, which rigor can abate, And have the stern remembrance wiped away, Of bitter thoughts, which deep therein infixed lay, Like as it fell to this unhappy boy, Whose tender heart the fair Belphoebe had, With one stern look so daunted, That no joy in all his life which afterwards he lad, he ever tasted, but with penance sad, and pensive sorrow pined and wore away, ne ever laughed, ne once shewed countenance glad, but always wept and wailed night and day, as blasted blossom through heat doth languish and decay. Till on a day, as in his wonted wise, his duel he made, there chanced a turtle-dove to come, where he his dolors did devise, that likewise late had lost her dearest love, which loss her maid like passion also prove, who seeing his sad plight, her tender heart with dear compassion deeply did him move, that she gan moan his undeserved smart, and with her doleful accent bear with him apart, she, sitting by him as on ground he lay, Her mournful notes full piteously did frame, And thereof made a lamentable lay, So sensibly compiled, That in the same him seemed oft he heard His own right name. With that he forth would pour so plenteous tears, And beat his breast unworthy of such blame, And knock his head, and rend his rugged ears that could have pierced the hearts of tigers and of bears. Thus long this gentle bird to him did use, withouten dread of peril, to repair unto his womb, and with her mournful muse him to recomfort in his greatest care, that much did ease his mourning and misfare. And every day for Gerdon of her song, he part of his small feast to her would share that at the last of all his woe and wrong, companion she became, and so continued long. Upon a day, as she him set beside, by chance he certain minimants forth drew, which yet with him as relics did abide of all the bounty which Belphoebe threw on him, whilst goodly grace she did him shew. Amongst the rest a jewel rich he found, that was a ruby of right perfect hue, shaped like a heart yet bleeding of the wound, 
and with a little golden chain about it bound. The same he took, and with a ribboned new, in which his lady's colours were, did bind about the turtle's neck, that with a view did greatly solace his engrieved mind, all unawares the bird, when she did find herself so decked, her nimble wings displayed and flew away, as lightly as the wind, which sudden accident him much dismayed, and looking after long did mark which way she strayed. But when as long he looked had in vain, yet saw her forward still to make her flight, his weary eye returned to him again, full of discomfort and disquiet plight, that both his jewel he had lost so light, and eke his dear companion of his care. But that sweet bird departing flew forth right through the wide region of the wasteful air, until she came where wanted his Belphoebe fair. There found she her, as then it did betide, sitting in covert shade of arbors sweet, after late weary toil, which she had tried in salvage chase, to rest as seemed her meat. There she alighting fell before her feet, and gan to her her mournful plaint to make, as was her wont, thinking, to let her weet the great tormenting grief, that for her sake her gentle squire through her displeasure did partake. She, her beholding with attentive eye, at length did mark about her purple breast that precious jewel, which she formerly had known right well, with coloured ribbons dressed. Therewith she rose in haste, and her addressed with ready hand it to have reft away. But the swift bird obeyed not her behest, but swerved aside, and there again did stay. She followed her, and thought again it to assay. And ever when she nigh approached, the dove would flit a little forward, and then stay, till she drew near, and then again remove, so tempting her still to pursue the prey, and still from her escaping soft away, till that at length into that forest wide she drew her far, and led with slow delay. In the end she her unto that place did guide, whereas that woeful man in Langor did abide, Eftsoons she flew unto his fearless hand, and there a piteous ditty new devised, as if she would have made him understand his sorrow's cause to be of her despised, whom when she saw in wretched weeds disguised, with hairy glib deformed, and meagre face, like a ghost late risen from his grave agrized, she knew him not, but pitied much his case and wished it were in her to do him any grace. He her beholding at her feet down fell, and kissed the ground on which her soul did tread, and washed the same with water which did well from his moist eyes, and like two streams proceed, yet spake no word whereby she might read what Mr. White he was, or what he meant, but as one daunted with her presence dread, only few rueful looks unto her sent, as messengers of his true meaning and intent. Yet nay the more his meaning she arred, but wondered much at his so selcouth case, and by his person's secret seemly head, well weened that he had been some man of place, 
before misfortune did his hue deface that being moved with ruth she thus bespake ah woeful man what heaven's hard disgrace or wrath of cruel wight on thee irake of self-disliked life doth thee thus wretched make if heaven then none may it redress or blame sith to his power we all are subject born if wrathful wight then foul rebuke and shame be theirs that have so cruel thee forlorn but if through inward grief or wilful scorn of life it be then better do advise for he whose days in wilful woe are worn the grace of his creator doth despise that will not use his gifts for thankless niggardise when so he heard her say eftsoons he brake his sudden silence which he long had pent and sighing inly deep her thus bespake then have they all themselves against me bent for heaven first author of my languishment envying my too great felicity did closely with cruel one consent to cloud my days in doleful misery and make me loath this life still longing for to die nay any but yourself o oh, dearest dread hath done this wrong to wreak on worthless wight your high displeasure through misdeeming bread that when your pleasure is to deem aright ye may redress and me restore to light which sorry words her mighty heart did mate with mild regard to see his rueful plight that her in burning wrath she gan abate and him received again to former favour's state in which he long time afterwards did lead an happy life with grace and good accord fearless of fortune's charge or envy's dread and eke all mindless of his own dear lord the noble prince who never heard one word of tidings what did unto him betide or what good fortune did to him afford but through the endless world did wander wide him seeking evermore yet nowhere him descried till on a day as through that wood he rode he chanced to come where those two ladies late, Amelia and Amoret abode, both in full sad and sorrowful estate, the one right feeble through the evil rate of food, which in her duress she had found, the other almost dead and desperate, through her late hurts, and through that hapless wound, with which the squire in her defence her sore astound whom when the prince beheld he gan to rue the evil case in which those ladies lay but most was moved at the piteous view of amoret so near unto decay that her great danger did him much dismay eftsoons that precious liquor forth he drew which he in store about him kept all way and with few drops thereof did softly dew her wounds that unto strength restored her soon anew. Though when they both recovered were right well, he gan of them inquire what evil guide them thither brought, and how their harms befell, to whom they told all that did them betide, and how from thraldom vile they were untied of that same wicked carl by virgin's hand whose bloody course they shewed him there beside, and eke his cave, in which they both were bond, at which he wondered much, when all those signs 
he fond. And evermore he greatly did desire to know what virgin did them thence unbind, and oft of them did earnestly inquire, where was her one, and how he mote her find. But when as not according to his mind he could outlearn, he them from ground did rear, no service loathsome to a gentle kind. And on his warlike beast them both did bear, himself by them on foot, to succour them from fear. So when that forest they had passed well, a little cottage far away they spied, to which they drew ere night upon them fell, and entering in found none therein abide, but one old woman sitting there beside, upon the ground in ragged rude attire, with filthy locks about her scattered wide, gnawing her nails for fellness and for ire, and there out-sucking venom to her parts entire. A foul and loathly creature sure in sight, and in conditions to be loathed no less, for she was stuffed with rancor and despite, up to the throat that oft with bitterness it forth would break and gush in great excess, pouring out streams of poison and of gall gainst all that truth a virtue do profess, whom she with leasings lewdly did miscall, and wickedly backbite, her name men sclander call. Her nature is all goodness to abuse, and causeless crimes continually to frame, with which she guiltless persons may accuse, and steal away the crown of their good name. Nay ever knight so bold, nay ever dame so chaste, and loyal lived, but she would strive with forged cause them falsely to defame. Nay, everything so well was done alive, but she with blame would blot, and of due praise deprive. Her words were not as common words are meant to express the meaning of the inward mind, but a noisome breath and poisonous spirit sent from inward parts with cankered malice lined and breathed forth with blast of bitter wind, which passing through the ears would pierce the heart, and wound the soul itself with grief unkind. For like the stings of asps that kill with smart, her spiteful words did prick and wound the inner part. Such was that hag, unmeet to host such guests, whom greatest prince's court would welcome fame, but need, that answers not to all requests, bade them not look for better entertain, and eke that age despised niceness vain, inured to hardness, and to homely fare, which them to warlike discipline did train, and manly limbs endured with little care, against all hard mishaps and fortuneless misfare. Then all that evening, welcomed with cold and cheerless hunger, they together spent, yet found no fault, but that the hag did scold and rail at them with grudgeful discontent, for lodging there without her own consent. Yet they endure it all with patience mild, and unto rest themselves all only lent, regardless of that queen so base and wild, to be unjustly blamed and bitterly reviled, 
Here well I ween, when as these rhymes be read, with misregard that some rash-witted wight, whose looser thought will lightly be misled, these gentle ladies will misdeem too light, for thus conversing with this noble knight, sith now of days such temperance is rare and hard to find, that heat of youthful sprite for aught will from his greedy pleasure spare, more hard for hungry steed to abstain from pleasant lair. But antique age, yet in the infancy of time, did live then like an innocent, in simple truth and blameless chastity. Nay, then of guile had made experiment, but void of vile and treacherous intent, held virtue for itself in sovereign awe. Then loyal love had royal regiment, and each unto his lust did make a law from all forbidden things his liking to withdraw. The lion there did with the lamb consort, and eke the dove sate by the falcon's side. Nay, each of other feared fraud or tort, but did in safe security abide, withouten peril of the stronger pride, but when the world wokes old, it wokes war old, whereof it height, and having shortly tried the trains of wit, in wickedness wokes bold, and dared of all sins the secrets to unfold. Then beauty, which was made to represent the great creature's own resemblance bright, unto abuse of lawless lust was lent, and made the bait of bestial delight. Then fair grew foul, and foul grew fair in sight, and that which was wont to vanquish God and man was made the vassal of the victor's might. Then did her glorious flower wax dead and wan, despised and trodden down of all that overran. And now it is so utterly decayed that any bud thereof doth scarce remain. But if few plants preserved through heavenly aid in prince's court do hap to sprout again, dewed with her drops of bounty sovereign, which from that goodly glorious flower proceed, sprung of the ancient stock of princes' strain, now the only remnant of that royal breed, whose noble kind at first was sure of heavenly seed. Though soon as day discovered heaven's face, to sinful men with darkness overdight, this gentle crew gan from their eyelids chase the drowsy humour of the dampish night, and did themselves unto their journey dight. So forth they yode, and forward softly paced, that them to view had been an uncouth sight. How all the way the prince on foot pace traced, the ladies both on horse together fast embraced, Soon as they thence departed were afore, that shameful hag, the slander of her sex, them followed fast, and them reviled sore. Him calling thief, them whores, that much did vex his noble heart. Thereto she did annex false crimes and facts, such as they never meant, that those two ladies much ashamed did wax, the more did she pursue her lewd intent and railed and raged till she had all her poison spent. At last, when they were passed out of sight, yet she did not her spiteful speech forbear, but after them did bark, 
and still backbite, though there were none her hateful words to hear, like as a cur doth felly bite and tear the stone which passed stranger at him through. So she them seeing past the reach of ear against the stones and trees did rail anew till she had dulled the sting which in her tongue's end grew. They, passing forth, kept on their ready way with easy steps so soft as foot could stride, both for great feebleness, which did oft assay fair amoret, that scarcely she could ride, and eke through heavy arms, which sore annoyed the prince on foot, not wanted so to fare, whose steady hand was fain his steed to guide, and all the way from trotting hard to spare. So was his toil the more, the more that was his care. At length they spied, where towards them with speed a squire came galloping, as he would fly, bearing a little dwarf before his steed, that all the way full loud for aid did cry, that seemed his shrikes would rend the brazen sky, whom after did a mighty man pursue, riding upon a dromedary on high, of stature huge and horrible of hue, that would have mazed a man his dreadful face to view. Far from his fearful eyes two fiery beams, more sharp than points of needles did proceed, shooting forth far away two flaming streams, full of sad power that poisonous bale did breed, to all that on him looked without good heed, and secretly his enemies did slay, like as the basilisk of serpents seed from powerful eyes close venom doth convey into the looker's heart and killeth far away he all the way did rage at that same squire and after him full many threatenings threw with curses vain in his avengeful ire but none of them so fast away he flew him overtook before he came in view where when he saw the prince in armour bright he called to him aloud his case to rue, and rescue him through succour of his might, from that his cruel foe that him pursued in sight. Eftsoons the prince took down those ladies twain from lofty steed, and mounting in their stead came to that squire, yet trembling every vein, of whom he gan enquire his cause of dread, who as he gan the same to him areed, lo, Hard behind his back his foe was pressed, With dreadful weapon aimed at his head, That unto death had done him unredressed, Had not the noble prince his ready stroke repressed. Who thrusting boldly twixt him and the blow, The burden of the deadly brunt did bear, Upon his shield, which lightly he did throw over his head, Before the harm came near. Natheless it fell with so dispiteous drear and heavy sway, that hard unto his crown the shield it drove and did the covering rear. Therewith both squire and dwarf did tumble down unto the earth and lay long while in senseless swoon. Whereat the prince, full wrath, his strong right hand in full avengement heaved up on high and struck the pagan with his steely brand so sore that to his saddle-bow thereby he bowed low, 
and so a while did lie, and sure had not his massy iron mace betwixt him and his hurt been happily, it would have cleft him to the girding place. Yet as it was, it did astonish him long space. But when he to himself returned again, all full of rage he gan to curse and swear, and vow by Mahoon that he should be slain. With that his murderous maze he up did rear, that seemed not the souse thereof could bear, and therewith smote at him with all his might. But ere that it to him approached near, the royal child with ready quick foresight did shun the proof thereof, and it avoided light. But ere his hand he could recure again, to ward his body from the baleful stound, he smote at him with all his might and main, so furiously, that ere he wist, he found his head before him tumbling on the ground. The whiles his babbling tongue did yet blaspheme and curse his God, that did him so confound. The whiles his life ran forth in bloody stream, his soul descended down into the Stygian ream. Which when that squire beheld, he wokes full glad to see his foe breathe out his sprite in vain. But that same dwarf right sorry seemed and sad, and howled aloud to see his lord there slain, and rent his hair and scratched his face for pain. Then gan the prince at leisure to inquire of all the accident there happened plain and what he was, whose eyes did flame with fire, all which was thus to him declared by that squire. This mighty man, quoth he, whom you have slain, of an huge giantess whilom was bred, and by his strength rule to himself did gain, of many nations into thraldom led, and mighty kingdoms of his force adread, whom yet he conquered not by bloody fight, nay hosts of men with banners broad dispread but by the power of his infectious sight with which he killed all that came within his might ne'er was he ever vanquished afore but ever vanquished all with whom he fought nay was there man so strong but he down bore nay woman yet so fair but he her brought unto his bay and captivated her thought for most of strength and beauty his desire was spoiled to make, and waste them unto naught, by casting secret flakes of lustful fire from his false eyes into their hearts and parts entire. Therefore Corflambeau was he called aright, though nameless there his body now doth lie, yet hath he left one daughter that is height, the fair Peana, who seems outwardly so fair as ever yet saw living eye, and were her virtue like her beauty bright, she were as fair as any under sky. But ah, she given is to vain delight, and eke too loose of life, and eke of love too light. So as it fell there was a gentle squire that loved a lady of high parentage, but for his mean degree might not aspire, to match so high. Her friends with counsel sage dissuaded her from such a disparage. But she, whose heart to love was wholly lent, out of his hands could not redeem her gage. But firmly following her first intent, 
resolved with him to wend gainst all her friends' consent. So twixt themselves they pointed time and place, to which when he according did repair, an hard mishap and disaventrous case him chanced, instead of his Amelia fair, this giant's son that lies there on the lair and headless heap, him unawares there caught and all dismayed through merciless despair, him wretched thrall unto his dungeon brought, where he remains of all unsuccored and unsought. This giant's daughter came upon a day unto the prison in her joyous glee to view the thralls which there in bondage lay. Amongst the rest she chanced there to see this lovely swain, the squire of low degree, to whom she did her liking lightly cast and wooed him her paramour to be. From day to day she wooed and prayed him fast, and for his love him promised liberty at last. He, though affied unto a former love, to whom his faith he firmly meant to hold, yet seeing not how thence he mote remove, but by that means which fortune did unfold, her granted love but with affection cold, to win her grace his liberty to get. Yet she him still detains in captive hold, fearing least if she should him freely set, he would her shortly leave and former love forget. Yet so much favour she to him hath height, above the rest, that he sometimes may space and walk about her gardens of delight, having a keeper still with him in place. Which keeper is this dwarf, her dearling base, to whom the keys of every prison door by her committed be, of special grace, and at his will may whom he list restore, and whom he list reserve to be afflicted more. Whereof when tidings came unto mine ear, full inly sorry for the fervent zeal, which I to him as to my soul did bear, I thither went where I did long conceal myself, till that the dwarf did me reveal and told his dame, her squire of low degree did secretly out of her prison steal. For me he did mistake that squire to be, for never two so like did living creatures see. Then was I taken and before her brought, who through the likeness of my outward hue, being likewise beguiled in her thought, can blame me much for being so untrue, to seek by flight her fellowship to eschew, that loved me dear as dearest thing alive. Thence she commanded me to prison new, whereof I glad did not gainsay nor strive, but suffered that same dwarf me to her dungeon drive. There did I find mine only faithful friend, in heavy plight and sad perplexity. Whereof I sorry, yet myself did bend him to rencomfort with my company. But him the more aggrieved I found thereby. For all his joy, he said, in that distress was mine, and his Emilia's liberty. Emilia, well he loved, as mote I guess, yet greater love to me than her he did profess. 
but i with better reason him advised and shewed him how through error and misthought of our like persons eth to be disguised or his exchange or freedom might be wrought whereto full loath was he nay would for aught consent that i who stood all fearless free should wilfully be enthraldom brought till fortune did perforce it so decree yet overruled at last he did to me agree the morrow next about the wonted hour the dwarf called at the door of amias to come forthwith unto his lady's bower in steed of whom forth came i placidas and undiscerned forth with him did pass there with great joyance and with gladsome glee a fair Payana I receive it was, and oft embraced, as if that I were he, and with kind words accoyed, vowing great love to me. Which I, that was not bent to former love, as was my friend, that had her long refused, did well accept, as well it did behove, and to the present need it wisely used my former hardness first i fair excused and after promised large amends to make with such smooth terms her error i abused to my friend's good more than for mine own sake for whose sole liberty i love and life did stake thenceforth i found more favour at her hand that to her dwarf which had me in his charge she bade to lighten my too heavy band, And grant more scope to me to walk it large. So on a day, as by the flowery marge Of a fresh stream, I with that elf did play, Finding no means how I might us enlarge, But if that dwarf I could with me convey, I lightly snatched him up, and with me bore away. Thereat he shrieked aloud, that with his cry, the tyrant's self came forth with yelling bray, And me pursued, but nay the more Would I forgo the purchase of my gotten prey, But have perforce him hither brought away. Thus as they talked, lo, where nigh at hand, Those ladies too, yet doubtful through dismay In presence came, desirous to understand Tidings of all which there had happened on the land where soon as sad Amelia did espy her captive lover's friend, young Placidus, all mindless of her wonted modesty, she to him ran, and him with straight embrace, enfolding said, and lives yet Amias? He lives, quoth he, and his Amelia loves. Then less, said she, by all the woe I pass, with which my weaker patience fortune proves, but what mishap thus long him fro myself removes? Then gan he all this story to renew, And tell the course of his captivity, That her dear heart full deeply made to rue, And sigh full sore to hear the misery, In which so long he merciless did lie. Then after many tears and sorrows spent, She dear besought the prince of remedy, who thereto did with ready will consent, and well performed, as shall appear by his event. End of Canto 8, Book 4, 
the legend of Campbell and Telamond.